0: And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship of Adramidium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coasts of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us, and the next day we landed at Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. When we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus, because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board." When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Cnidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete, off Salmone. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near the city of Lycia. Now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest, "'and winter there. "'When the south wind blew softly, "'supposing that they had obtained their desire, "'putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. "'But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose "'called Euroclidon. "'So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, "'we let her drive, and running under the shelter "'of an island called Clauda, "'we secured the skiff with difficulty.' When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, and fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands, they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hoped that we would be saved— was finally given up. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore take heart, men, for I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now when the fourteenth night had come, as we were driven up and down the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. And they took soundings and found it to be twenty fathoms. And when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again and found it to be fifteen fathoms. Then, fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, When they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day. You have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. All in all, we were 276 persons on the ship, So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea, meanwhile loosing the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, They ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves, and the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land and the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land.
1: Thank you, Mary. Let's open in a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you. Of the passage you decided to write through Luke that from first observation has nothing to do with us yet you put it there for a reason in fact your servant Paul unpacked it in the New Testament Father I pray that the meaning of this text would be our sermon this morning I pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I pray that this church would fully belong to you. That we would be people not only of faith, but of repentance and turning. That you would be a treasure in a field that we would be willing to abandon all to be in. Father, we love you and we need you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. We acknowledge your truth, your judgment. And we place ourselves at the bema seat of Christ only through his shed blood. And Father, I pray that when we leave here, we will love you more, not just intellectually, but in our lives. Start with me. I confess my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. And I love you. And it's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.
2: Have you ever said the words, Will this ever end? Have you ever just sat and listened to someone tell a story and you say to yourself, I don't need all of these details? Some of you would say, I think that way every Sunday morning at 11. And to that I say, how dare you, good sir and ma'am? In fact, maybe a little repentance should be in order because every single one of the details that I bring up are life-giving. When I sat down and reread this text this week, several questions came to my mind. But the one that rose to the top was, why does Luke go to such lengths to, to describe in such detail a storm that he was in? I don't know about you, but when Mary, who has a wonderful radio voice and knows how to pronounce things, read that this morning, which that is my gift to you, all right? In fact, I was talking to Steve Poling and I'm like, would, would you like me to read this? And he said, no, I would like to hear things pronounced correctly. And he is now going to be in an elders' meeting soon. But why does he bring up all these details? Who cares if they wrapped cords around a ship in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea? After all, it doesn't seem to fit into the narrative all that well. Well, the first answer I came up with was this. Luke is showing us that against human helplessness, they are helpless, are they not? Such as storms like this... That God is God is powerful and his sovereignty is most clearly seen when we are helpless. My friends, and you can say amen if you want to agree with this, but God's purpose cannot be thwarted because no matter how great the storm, our God is greater than any storm. Amen? amen. And we, we say that, but truth be told, it just feels a little incomplete. It bothers me. I understand doctrinally that the storms of life, whether those storms are literal or allegorical, God is in control of everything. I get that. You get that. I think we'd all pass that quiz. But if God is in control of all things, then it would stand to reason that he is also in control of the storm, is he not? Which raises to me a much larger question. Why does God allow the storms at all? Why doesn't he just dissolve the storms rather than send us through them? This, I believe, is the reason Luke brings this to our attention. So, what I'd like to do this morning is create a, a visual narrative of all that is going on and what the storm may have looked like. And by doing so, we will not only see Paul in stormy seas, but maybe we will see our lives in the violent seas of life at the same time. And I hope I hope that you can appreciate Luke's intent here to the point that maybe even we might feel the waves. Now, one of the reasons I've created this environment is because I want your, your hearts and your minds on the text. I don't want you to be distracted by those around you. So I encourage you to keep your eyes on the text. It was time to take Paul to Rome. Rome. After all, he had exercised his right to be judged by Caesar. In fact, we see in chapter 25, verse 11, he says, I appeal to Caesar. So the centurion, by the name of Julius, out of respect for Paul, allowed him to bring a couple friends with him on the trip. One of the friends was Luke. It's one of the reasons why we have such intricate details here, because Luke was on the boat during this time. And he brought a devoted friend by the name Aristarchus from Thessalonica. They left Caesarea, and the next day they docked in Sidon. They docked in Sidon. In fact, if we hit the button there, that would be helpful. They left Caesarea, there it is, and they went to Sidon. And Paul was allowed to visit some friends and to be fed and to be cared for. In fact, you see that in verse 3 when he says they allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. So my point so far in this narrative is this. So far, so good. Rather than sailing straight for Italy, they decided to hug the coast. In fact, it says in verse 4, they sailed under the shelter of Cyprus. Now, I bet Paul reminisced here just a little bit at this time. After all, this is his hometown. And he knew these waters and this region well. He can possibly see himself playing on the shoreline as a child as this small ship eases by where he was born. Now, because of the wind, the ship was not cooperating and the ship that they were in was rather small. So they they hugged the shoreline of Cilicia and finally docked in Myra. In fact, you see that in Acts 27 verse 5. And they landed in Myra of Lycia. My point so far is this. So far, so eh. Alright? Now the ship they were in was a little too small to sail the breadth of the Mediterranean Sea all the way to Italy. I think sometimes we fail to understand just how large the Mediterranean Sea is. So if you look at this map here of the United States with the Mediterranean Sea superimposed into it, you can see that this is no small body of water. This is not Lake Superior. All right, This is a body of water that stretches nearly 3,000 miles in width. So, because of that, the centurion has to find a larger ship, and he does so. You see that in verse six, a ship from Alexandrian sailing to Italy. They put Paul and his two friends, Luke and his other friends in on it. Now this ship was a grain ship. It's about 140 feet in length, 140 feet in length, 36 feet wide, and it held grain. Now the question is, why? Why do they need to get in the ship? Because it is far more safe and it is far more sturdy to use the ship at this time. But the problem is, this ship has a huge drawback. Chief among all the drawbacks is that it could not sail into the wind. A grain ship like this could not sail into the wind. And from here, the wind strengthened from here on It seemed like it took forever in this giant heavy ship that couldn't sail into the wind. In fact, it says in verse 7, We sailed slowly for a good many days and with great difficulty... From there, a storm got worse, and they couldn't go any further, and they had to port off the coast of Salome here, and from there, things became impossible, so they were forced to go all the way to Fairhaven. You see that in Acts 27, verse 8. My point here is this, so far, things stink at this time. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place where life goes from good to eh to what in the world is going on? That's what's happening here. By this time, it is mid-October in the year. In fact, you see that in verse 9. Since even the the fast was already over, these simple words tell us exactly what time of the year it is. There is only one fast required by the Jewish calendar, and that was a fast for the Day of Atonement. Now, this is huge. No one sailed the 3,000-mile-long-in-width Mediterranean Sea during the winter. Hence the words, it was suitable for wintering in verse 12. All sailing ceased in the Mediterranean from this point. From October to February, no one sailed the the Mediterranean Sea openly. That is why Paul says what everyone else is thinking in Fairhaven. All right, He says, how many here have ever had something in your mind and finally someone says what you're thinking but you didn't have the courage to say it? Anyone at all? Paul says it. He says what everyone else is thinking, but doesn't want to say. He says this, men, I perceive that this voyage is certainly going to be with damage and great loss, not only to our our cargo, but the ship and also our lives. But there's a major problem here, and we all face these major problems in life. Fairhaven's Harbor is not suitable for wintering. Now, by suitable, I mean two things. It, wasn't, it was a little too small, and it wouldn't protect the ship as the land uh, typography would allow. But also, it was an incredibly small and boring port. Now, you're facing five months in a boring small port that did not offer much of a social life or amenities, and it was a tough place to harbor the ship in the wind. Let me ask you a question. Where would you rather spend five months of your life during the winter? In Chicago getting deep dish pizza or Muskegon getting Little Caesars? I think we all can understand at this point. Now, how many here are like, I'm hungry. <laughs> Chicago doesn't seem that bad right now. Oh. It's still. No, let's move forward. Due to these factors, they decide somehow we got to get to Phoenix because I ain't spending no five months in this port. Just 40 miles away. I'm not spending four months here. Sometimes, church, if you would agree with this, sometimes our desires trump logic. Amen? Sometimes what we want trumps wisdom. It was a bad decision from there. There is there is a reason no one sails this time of the year. In fact, a very long, violent wind rushed down from the land. A deadly northeaster gale came down, driving them west, literally away from where they want to go, Rome, so much so that they had to put down their sail, pull up all their controls, and let the wind just take them. Because to fight the wind would simply destroy their boat. In fact, you see that in verse 15. We gave up and let ourselves be driven by the wind. My point here is so far, where are you, God? God had given Paul a promise, you will go to Rome and testify to me. Yet Paul finds himself in a storm, which by the way, God is in control of. My friends, you and I have promises of God that we can claim, yet do you find yourself in a storm that is utterly destroying you and you want to say with all of your heart to a God that is controlling the storm that you're in, what are you doing and where are you, God? Are there times when you say, you feel like more my destroyer than my deliverer tossed in the wind they happened to move past a small island in Kala and it allowed them to get their boat under control but only with great difficulty could they get it under control this island lessened the waves enough and they took the opportunity to begin what was called frapping the ship Now, frapping is when you take all the ropes, all the cables that you can find, and you wrap the boat both vertically and horizontally, length and width, to keep the timber from splitting apart in the stress of the waves. In fact, you see that in verse 17, supporting cables, undergirding the ship. My point here is all hope is being lost. They lowered the sails. They start throwing everything they do not need into the sea. In fact, they began to jettison the cargo and the tackle. Verse 19, at this point in time, they didn't even know north from south. It says here that neither the sun nor the stars appeared for many days. My friends, have you not been here in your life? You may not be on the Mediterranean right now, but you know what it's like to be absolutely lost in a storm of God's own doing, wondering where am I and what is God doing? So much so that you begin to lose all hope. Look at the text here. From then on, all hope was just being, uh, that was saved is to slowly abandoned. Not only are they throwing the cargo and the tackle over the boat, they're throwing their hope over the boat. This would have included Paul, by the way. My guess is that for many of you right now, you also are in a storm. Slowly losing all hope, wondering if my God is in control of all things. What in the world is my God doing? Paul was in physical, emotional, and spiritual trouble. My point here is, why God? And maybe if we're honest, for some of us, we might even at times say, what God? And in the middle of this moment, Paul is reminded who he belongs to. It says here that an angel of the Lord came to him and he said, Do not be afraid. You will stand before Caesar. You know, things changed around there. Oh, church, we need to see here is this. Paul is reminded of God's promise to him. Hear this. God has promised you. He has promised me. He has promised all those who belong to him many things. But what God has never promised is smooth sailing along the way. Amen? We all know that, just not doctrinally. We know that practically. In fact, God said, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trials. In this world, you will have heartbreak. In this world, you will have destination. But far say, far say, be of good courage, I have overcome the world. And what we need to remember in times of storms is the same thing that Paul remembers here. And that is this, who do I belong to and who do I serve? And Paul says what we can all stay in the storms of life. Keep up your courage. For I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. And then it happened. In the dark of the night, hope pierced the darkness with the sound of crashing waves off into the distance in the dark. About midnight, the sailors began to suspect. They began to hear that they were approaching land by the crashing of the waves. My friends, there is no darkness. There is no storm. There is no trial that the hope of God cannot pierce. Keep your eyes open, your ears attentive for the promise that God works all things out for good is as true in the storm as it is out of the storm. We all know that storms are hard. But God has a message for us. No matter how dark or how hopeless or how confusing the storm may be, the promise of God has not moved. His purpose has not been abandoned because He who begins a good work in you will carry it to completion in Christ Jesus. Oh, hear this truth today. God is there. Land is coming. The light will shine. The seas will calm. It may not happen when we want. But you, those who belong to Christ... His promises will never sink in the storm. So so powerful is this truth that in the middle of the storm, And I know this is an old and tired joke, but it just keeps on giving because it's true. Paul shows some amazing proof that he may very well have been the first Baptist because in the middle of a storm where they're being tossed to and fro, he says, we should eat something. (laughs) Look at verse 34. I encourage you to take some food. And then Paul says something amazing. He says this, for not a hair on your head of any of you will ever perish. Look at that picture of when he said that. He didn't say it on the shore, he said it in the storm. My friends, this is the power of God in the storm. Now, I can't promise you that no hair on your head will ever perish, but to those who belong to Christ, I can promise you this. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And if you believe in him, you will live even if you die. My friends, your salvation is so secure, not a single hair on your head will ever curl from the heat of everlasting judgment. And because of this, you can feast in the storms of life because God is in control Of your storm. So much so that look. Look what Paul does in the middle of the storm. He gives thanks. He gives thanks in the storm that has no hope. And in the presence of all these unbelievers. Nearly 300 unbelievers. He gives thanks to God and he broke the bread and he ate it. And 276 people on the ship were encouraged and finally it happened. The storm was over. They could see the sun and the stars at night. My friends, just hear this. Storms don't last forever. say Storms don't last forever. Now when day came, they did not recognize the land, but they did notice a, a bay with a beach with it. And so it happened that They were all brought safely to land, and they found out that the island was called Malta. Grab this. The storm pushed Paul, now remember how large the Mediterranean Sea is, 475 miles into the Mediterranean Sea, somewhere between Nebraska and Colorado, that's a lot of water. Pushed them 475 miles into the Mediterranean Sea, and they hit the only island out there called Malta, which, by the way, is now called St. Paul's Bay. You see that little statue on that island? That is a statue of the Apostle Paul with an inscription, Do not be afraid! The chance of hitting this island on accident after 14 days of being blown about by a Northeaster in the middle of winter is like finding a needle in a haystack. And soon they will find out why the storm brought them in the first place, but that is for next week. The passage just drips of application. Now I want to stop for a moment. Does this look like your life at all? Full of ups and downs, storms and ports, calm, rough, precious, devastating. I think we can all see this path in our lives. Now, when I was studying this, I was praying and I, and I said, Lord, I don't want to spiritualize a text that is just simply an historical account of a storm that Luke loved to write about. Luke loves to write about nautical stuff. He loves it. He keeps a journal. And I don't think I have spiritualized this text. You guys know that my number one concern is that the meaning of the text is the message of the sermon. For in the moment, I do not tell you what the text, what the Bible says, the good, the bad, the great, and the ugly. If I don't tell you what the text says, I'm telling you, you should immediately replace me. Because you don't need another thought of another man. We need the counsel of God. The church is starving for the word of God. You need to hear from God, not me. You all know that one of my favorite commentaries when I study the book of Acts is from D.L. Bach. John, you love D.L. Bach and you, you recommended him to me and what a feast he is for my life. He is considered one of the foremost authorities on the writing of Luke in Acts. He says this, this story is not simply allegory. It is a good literal style of writing where an actual historical event equally symbolizes another reality in the life of God's people. That's you and me. So if I am spiritualizing this text, I am comfortable with the company that I keep. And many others, as you will see. So what I'd like to do right now is take this historical event in life that equally symbolizes spiritual events in our lives and unpack some simple applications that you might be strengthened with. Number one, when we are anchored to God's presence, we can sustain others in the storm. When we are anchored, Paul mastered the storm because he knew the master of the storm. Number two, gratitude and trust are infectious. Gratitude and trust are infectious. By the way, so is critical negative judgment. That's infectious too. The whole ship is encouraged. They begin to trust because Paul trusted. They give thanks because Paul gave thanks. How about you? What do you infect people with? A lot of times we joke around like, my spiritual gift is is criticism and judgment. My friends, that is not a spiritual gift. Number three, godly Christians bring benefit to the whole community. Godly Christians bring benefit to the whole community. The world benefits greatly from the presence of a truly born-again, spirit-filled follower of Jesus Christ. Are people benefiting spiritually and practically from your presence, or do they look at you and say, your God offers no more than mine? No God offers. You're just as miserable as I am. Number 4 if we trust God's sovereignty in the storms he will use it to bear witness to others God may have us in the storm right you God may have you in a storm right now and I know many of you God may have you in a storm right now so that others can see him in your helplessness in your weakness God's power is perfectly clear when we have none of our own. (laughs) Number five, God never misses his destination for your life. He never misses. Paul could not see the sun of the stars. Maybe you can't see north or south, east or west either. He had completely lost control in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. Yet God brings him to the only island out there with absolute perfection. He never misses the destination with your life. Number six, and this is from me. It's my favorite one. Using your brain and trusting God are not in conflict with one another. I want an amen. Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. It is okay to use common sense with a sovereign God. In fact, you are told to. In fact, we are called to be wise. You see, when Paul said, Don't sail any further past Fair Haven, he was not given a prophecy. It's not like the Lord uttered a prophetic utterance through him. He was not given a prophecy when he said, Hey, we shouldn't go any further. He said, It's mid October, folks. The feast of the Passover is over. Common sense would tell all of us, and the experience as a sailor, that this is not a good time to sail. Here's the point. Sometimes people wrongfully imply that trusting in the Lord means casting reason to the wind and doing foolish things. And all we do is end up looking dumb. Faith is believing in what God has said. Hear that. So often people will say, we just need to have more faith. I'm like, faith in what he said, not faith in what we want. Faith is believing what God has said, not running blindly into the stupidity, calling it faith. Trusting God to provide for your needs is a good thing, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't budget our money and spend wisely. Can we get a witness on that? And you can apply that to any area. Number seven, Paul openly thanked God in the middle of the storm. He was unashamed. We talked about this in Sunday school. He was unashamed to openly trust God, surrounded by a group who wondered if he even existed. My friends, we started out with a question. Why does the one who controls the storm and has control over the storm even allow the storms into our lives? Why not just spare us from the storm? Because God is shaping you and He is shaping me. He is shaping you and He is shaping me. And oh, by the way, every single person in this room is either about to go into a storm or is in a storm or just came out of the storm. A lot of times we think we're alone in the storm. We're not. There's 276 of us in the same storm you're in. You're not alone. I'm in that boat too. I know this because I know you. 17 years of walking life with you, you know my pain and I know yours. And I'm int- intimately aware of my own storms the other day. I don't know if I should tell this story or not. Someone said, hey, our church is... <laughs> I will, maybe I'll get in trouble. That's okay. <laughs> Judgment is not a spiritual gift, Okay. They said, hey, our church is having some struggles, and I was wondering if you would come over and help us with this issue. And I said, no. I said, I have enough dumpster fires where I'm at. Now, before you think, well, that's really here. And I said, and I own a dumpster. I'm right there with all of us. We're in this together. I know you, you know me. But why? Why does God, the one who has control over the storm, allow your storm? Jen, why does He allow? Eric, why does He allow your storm? How come your marriage is in a storm? Your children are in a storm. Your job is in a storm. Your health is in a storm. Your your mental health is just all over the place. Why, Lord? Well, it starts by knowing His purpose versus our interests. Here it is. We are objective-orientated people. We just want to get to Rome. Do we not? I just want that hip to work. I just want my vertigo to go away for the glory of God. No, for my glory, all right? We just want to get to Rome. We just want relief. We want still waters. We want destination now. God is process orientated. While we just want to go to Rome, God is more interested in how we get to Rome. Did you catch that? Your storm and mine is accomplishing God's process in our lives, which is progressive sanctification, for he who began a good work is faithful to complete it by the time Jesus comes back. And my friends, you can rest in God's process. You can rest in his process. You will hit the island of Malta. So if you are in a storm right now, remember these things. This is 44 verses summarized in these short statements. In the storm of my life, God came near. He told me I belong to Him. I serve an all-powerful God. Far say, I can take heart. Amen, church? Your storm has a purpose so does mine. We're all in the same boat. Now many of you are in a storm right now. Many of you I know. Many of you I don't. So this morning, in the encouragement in the storm, we're just going to respond. And we're going to sing, it is well with my soul. When sea billows roll, my sin not in part but in whole are nailed to the cross and I bear them no more. It's well with my soul. paid it all? So we're going to close with a word of prayer. And then I'm going to ask you to consider abandoning decorum. And worship your God in the storm. Because His power is the same in as it is out Father God bless your word thank you for giving us this text you are good you are good when you take And you are good when you give. Blessed be your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray.